Specialty Story, session number 138. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Now, welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. And if this is your first time joining me here on Specialty Stories, welcome. I, I think you're in for a treat with our guest today, Dr. Dana Levin, someone who is in the middle of this pandemic as an emergency medicine physician in New York City. We're going to have a, a good discussion. This will be different than all of our other specialty stories. We're, we're more focused on the pandemic, his experiences, his preparation for this, and his unique experiences leading up to this that maybe you can get uh, some knowledge and some encouragement that there are things out there that you can do to prepare for something like this in the future. And one of those things that we talk about is the Wilderness Medicine Program here at the University of Colorado School of Medicine through the Emergency Medicine Department. Now, Dr. Levin is on faculty there. I'm on faculty there uh, as part of this Emergency Medicine Wilderness Medicine Program. It's specifically geared towards pre-med students, and they do have programs as well for for residents, for, for physicians, for medical students, so check out those as well. But if you would like a link to check out the Wilderness Medicine Program as well as a coupon code, you can text the word WILDMED, that's all one word, WILDMED, to 44222, well, and we'll chat about that program in a little bit. We start the conversation with Dr. Levin about how he first became interested in emergency medicine and then aerospace medicine. Well, it depends on when you want, when you mean if it's first interested or first consciously aware that those fields existed. Uh, because my first interest in it was probably when I was uh, in middle school building first aid kits and uh, taking them on field trips <laughs> to bandage up pretty much. You were that guy. <laughs> illnesses out there. I was definitely that guy. I was, I was a very cool middle schooler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cargo pockets, cargo vests, all that fun stuff. <laughs> yep. Fanny pack with bandages <laughs> in it. You, you whole deal. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, but the first time that I was really aware of them as a field, uh, I was working as an, I decided to volunteer as an EMT when I got to college. Mm. Uh, so it was something I was interested in. Uh, I knew about medicine and I understood emergency medicine from that perspective. And the more I did it, the more it was, it just felt right. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, and it was really rewarding. So that was the first interest. And then that developed later on into the pre-med track in med school and residency um, and on day one of med school, I had always wanted to be an astronaut and I had always known like that was a, a dream, which is still a dream. Um, but the, uh, when I, when I walked into the med school, um, orientation office, the, uh, they, they had us go to the career planning office on day one. So I showed up there and they said, what do you, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, well, I want to, you know, I would love to be an astronaut because I had no idea how to help you. Um, <laughs> So then she, then she Googled, uh, I'm pretty sure she put in aerospace and medicine yep. and found the aerospace medicine association, which is, yep. uh, which is how I got involved in, in that specialty. And that, that's sort of the first moment for aerospace specifically. Yeah. So it was a love of wanting to be an astronaut. What do you, what do you think it was about being an astronaut that fascinated you? Oh, that's, that's really just the, the, uh, 
the curiosity of exploration and the ability to stand on a on a cooperative platform that encourages people to pursue really difficult things and uh, do it in a cooperative way rather than a competitive way. And that's that's what really appealed to me, um, along with the uh, just the, the sheer coolness of doing that kind of work. Yeah. It's you're you're in this incredibly austere environment. You are working as part of a huge team doing things that are at the very edge of what's possible. Mm. Um, and I really love being in that kind of environment. It's, uh, it's a lot of preparation, a lot of like high stakes, uh, type, uh, environment or a lot of high stakes interventions, a lot of, uh, and a lot of science as well as, as well as being part of the team. Yeah. Um, now, I've, obviously, I am not an astronaut, but I, that's the appeal of what that was. And yeah. through those same things are what drew me to both emergency and aerospace medicine and all the other things that I got myself involved in. Yeah. Do you feel it's interesting as we're recording this, it's April 6th, New York City is is hopefully maybe on the downturn with with everything going on with COVID. You're an emergency medicine physician. Your last shift was last night or not last shift, but your um, uh, your last shift that you've been most in recent. is yeah, most recent. There you go. Uh, was last night. Do you think having that passion for aerospace medicine, for those austere environments, for everything that you've done uh, working in those types of environments and putting yourself in those situations, do you think that has prepared you well for what's going on right now in New York City? <laughs> That's a really interesting question. I, I don't know if you can be prepared for this, um, but in some senses, yeah, I think it would. Uh, mostly because we work in the aerospace medicine field in particular is the application of a large amount of disparate of disparate teams to solve problems that no one's ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also about at least the field of the part of it that I'm working in. Um, it's also about austere environment medicine and using limited resources to deal with dramatic problems, which is exactly what we're facing right now. Mm-hmm. So the willingness to be open to collaborative efforts, the willingness to pull in unexpected support from other areas such as engineering or um even like seamstress work where people are sewing things together mm-hmm. that sort of willingness to reach outside your specialty and and draw in from that from those experts is really helpful and it's that open mindedness and the team approach that i think prepare you as well as the austere environment willingness to work with limited resources. Now that that part comes from emergency medicine where you just sort of walk into a shift every day and say I don't know what I'm going to ha- what I'm going to see but I'm going to deal with it. Uh, but the aerospace side of do what you can uh, also involves a lot of do what you can with what you have to solve a problem and it teaches a lot of preparatory aspects that I think are really useful in this time even though it's an emergency and we don't know we didn't know what to prepare for. Mm. Now that the emergency has hit, we can prepare for the next shifts and the future, it, um, particularly epidemiology training. Yeah, it, it seems like the the training that you've been through potentially gives you the mindset of the 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 you know what is hitting the fan 
we'll figure it out. We we have stuff around us to figure it out and, and we'll figure it out versus a lot of other people, their mindset potentially is, I have no idea what to do. We don't have any of this. We've never been through this. Uh, we're screwed. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, the other thing that's directly applicable in, in this case is that we also have a a training part, a portion of the training that's related to a master of public health mm-hmm. and doing a master of public health is epidemiology. Yeah. But yeah, we do have, um, we do training in when everybody else is frozen or doesn't know how to handle the situation. We get to have a few tools available and an open mindset that says, okay, things are bad. Let's do what we can with what we have right now to make it incrementally better and then go from there to make it better again. Mm. And you start digging yourself slowly out of this hole. And that's what, that's what, uh, that's the emergency medicine mindset. And it, it does exist a lot in aerospace also. Yeah. It's just a different side of the same problem. Yeah. Talk about the, the pandemic and, and New York city and, and what it's like to kind of as everyone's describing it on the on the front lines of of this pandemic with your colleagues and and other people by your side um it's stressful it's encouraging and there's a lot of there's a lot to be really hopeful about actually we have an incredible team and people have really rallied behind us and in front in front of us and around us and we've got the direct aspect of hospital administration that's opened up all sorts of new pathways for us. We have aspects of uh, other hospital teams and other services that are coming in to offload our uh, patient load. We have people outside of the medical field that are designing ventilators or building or printing out PPE on their own 3D printers at home. We have a ton of people coming to help us out, and it's amazing. Um, the other part of it is it's stressful. You're dealing with sick patients. You're dealing with large numbers of sometimes not sick patients. We discharge most people the same as it always always has been in the ER, mm-hmm. but we are managing critical care patients on top of that. So we have to play the role of urgent care, to some extent primary care, as well as inpatient medicine and inpatient critical care medicine. And that gets tiring for a 12-hour shift. Yeah. But it's it's manageable so far. We're just taking it one day at a time. Yeah. Do you feel like with with everything going on and and uh, all the people around you going through what they're going through, uh, a lot of the schools, especially NYU, has said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna graduate students early and pay them to to go work in the hospitals." What do you think about that? I think that if I was a med student, I'd be terrified. Um, but the uh, the actual work that they're doing right now is doing a lot of patient follow-up care work. Yeah. Uh, so they will call people. They will check in on people through a telemedicine platform. At least that's what we're trying to use them for at Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are doing lab follow-ups. They are taking on some patient care responsibility. But there's a lot of on-the-job training that happens. So people kind of slot into where they best fit. And some of that is patient care. Some of that is transport. Some of that is follow-up and explanations. And some of the most important work that we can do right now is just be reassuring to people and tell them, hey, you know, it's going to be okay. Or give them a realistic picture of what is happening and prepare them for 
real challenges and real stresses and even when things are not okay. And that's something that med students are surprisingly well equipped for. So I think that it's really, it's really useful. And I'd be very interested to see how this plays out in the future now that we've realized or at least accepted that some med students are capable of graduating early. Yeah. What is it like with a novel disease like this is and and the data seemingly potentially changing day to day or week to week? What is that like as a clinician to to come into a shift and get caught up on all of the new protocols or or what they're recommending to do? Right. The the newest thing potentially is, hey, don't treat this like ARDS, use PEEP and and what whatever they're saying now. Uh, what's it like to to have that constant flux? Uh, it's a lot of information to sort through, uh, and, and on some level, only some of it gets through every time. So the reality is we don't know the best way to treat this thing yet, so everybody's experimenting. And when something really does work and something really is useful, so like when we started using ARDSnet protocol for our ventilator ventilated patients, and that really did have a benefit, it went through everybody like rap- like wildfire in a very rapid fashion. But when you're dealing with all the other stuff, the day-to-day operations changes, the potential of different medications that may or may not work, the, the slew of new studies that are out there, it's a little bit overwhelming and it's kind of helpful to almost tune most of that out and wait for the most beneficial things to float to the top. So um, emergency medicine in general is uh, most patients that come in, we don't know what's going on with them. And in emergency medicine, we don't need a diagnosis. We tend to approach most patients from what's happening. Let me fix the immediate life threat so I can buy time. Mm. And that's a lot easier to do than necessarily figuring out exactly what's going wrong. And that's now other, other specialties, particularly internal medicine, really drill down and understand diagnosis. So it's nice to have that team approach where ER figures out how to buy time and internal medicine uses that time to figure out what's going on and come up with a definitive plan. So that that sort of dovetail, that nice um, that nice little meshing is really what's been helpful, and we are do- we're now doing that on a much broader scale. So the ER groups are handling a very unknown, very dynamic situation, and buying time for everyone else to do the work they need to do to figure out how to actually fix it. And I think it's actually working pretty well, even though it's chaotic and on display right now. <laughs> Chaotic. That's one word to to describe it. Let, let's talk about that chaos, right? A, a lot of sure. students uh, in on the pre med side, uh, which I, I have a big Facebook group for pre meds, were three four weeks ago looking at what was happening in Italy, saying, "Well, that's that's Italy. That's that's socialized medicine, and that won't happen here." Um, and I giggled and said, ha ha, just, just wait and see, right? Not, not that I wanted to be proved, uh, right. But what, yeah. what is it like to, to be in a situation, right? In our healthcare system where we seemingly are the, one of the most, if not the most wealthy countries, and yet we're struggling and begging and pleading for our neighbors to sew us masks. I think it's as a system and as a country, kind of an embarrassment. Um, but at the same time, this is, we're making it very public, but this is a real struggle that pretty much everywhere in the world has to deal with. Mm. So some countries did get this right. They took, they experimented, they tried something. Uh, the U S tried a different strategy and we didn't get it right. Yeah. So 
staying away from the politics and 2020 hindsight and second guessing, because that's there's only so much use in that. And, yep. and emergency medicine is not here to answer questions. Aerospace medicine, to an extent, isn't either. We're just here to prepare for the next one using the information we have. Yeah. So we're learning. We, we learned that this particular strategy doesn't work um, and that there are other strategies out there that do. It would have been great to know that ahead of time. And there were probably opportunities where we could have, but we didn't make that decision. We made this one. We now know that this doesn't work. So all we can do is go forward from where we are. And as we are learning the realities of this situation, we are starting to improve and get better at how to manage where we are and learn at the same time as we're learning the lessons of how to not have this happen again in the future. Yeah. From your your aerospace medicine, you were mentioning earlier that there's a lot of cooperation between different teams to to come to a solution, to fix a problem. I think we are seeing unprecedented cooperation uh, in this country between hospital systems, between um, between physicians, and and even throughout the world. Do you hope or think or feel that that this will have some lasting? Uh, cooperative effects in the future, because I think one of the one of the downsides with our healthcare system is that there's a lot of competition. Uh, everyone fighting to come up with the the new treatment or the new whatever to get the patent and to make the money for their organization. Do you, do you think this will maybe change some of that? I I think that this absolutely will have an impact. Uh, we have an entire generation of people right now that are growing up with a very real threat health and a very tangible inability to handle. Uh, we have unprecedented unemployment right now in the US, and most of our insurance was built on an employment-based structure. Mm. So we have tons of people that can no longer afford care. We already had a, num- a large portion of people that couldn't. And I think that what you're seeing is that states and communities that really have rallied around public health and, 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 uh, and even in some cases, um, public access to care, whether that's through um, their own funding structures for everyone in the state or their funding structures that'll, that has have robust public health structures for people that can't afford care to show up. Um, those states are going to have a much better response. They're going to have a much faster response than the states that don't. And it really is like th- we've seen this as a slow public health crisis over, over decades uh, where there are many people that are much more at risk in other areas have access to care, but if you look and, and versus the states that did, and I think that this is putting that into a very stark, very short-term mindset that makes it very obvious where our system has, is not working. So we would be absolutely remiss to, to, to not take advantage of this of this new understanding, this very salient moment, to make some changes that would allow bit broader access to care. Um, I. I, I haven't thought well enough about this to be able to tell you exactly what the structure would look like, but I think that um, there will be a lot more discussion about this in the future. And if I were to take a wild guess at it, some sort of a, something that would allow everyone to get care um, and to not have to worry about how they're going to pay for it and to not have to worry about which services are covered and which physicians are covered to make the system easier to navigate so that it's more streamlined. You can offload um, you know, in some cases you can offload the emergency department just by having people know where to go. Yeah. Um, and that, I think those are going to be the lasting impacts that we're going to see. And I'm hoping that that will lead to 
some really productive discussions and some actionable changes in the near term future. Yeah. What do you think from a, a testing standpoint? I, I think I'd listen to a, an amazing podcast because I, I love podcast shocking um, from yes. from Planet Money and NPR about how South Korea leaned on their private industry a lot faster than we did. Uh, obviously, our CDC tried to create a test that, that didn't work well uh, out of the gate. Do you feel like potentially because we're such a large country and we're so divided with all of our different states and and their own thoughts and processes and liberties and everything else that that if we had a single uh, private or even public uh, testing operation that that our our tests would be a lot quicker to to roll out and and we would all have a single kind of swab that we all needed to know and we all needed to knew, knew the protocol. It seems like every state and every county is all just scrambling to figure something out because everything is so different. Yeah, I think we have a very discoordinated system right now. Uh, we don't have a central control over this and we don't have a coordinated response. Uh, unequivocally, countries that did widespread testing and targeted containment are doing better now and will probably continue to than what we did. That is absolutely a failing in our response. Mm. Um, And that's that's not political, right? That's just knowing from your MPH background, from my public health flight medicine background, that's just from a public health standpoint, we failed. It doesn't matter who's in charge. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is not at all saying anything about about political leadership. This is just simply, we, this is, this is an obvious failing. We didn't do this well. Um, And again, like I'm not, I'm not an expert in that side of it. So I couldn't say whether using private industry is better than using a a public manufacturing. But what we can say is that we didn't have that capability. Um, So leaning on a public sector that didn't have the capability might not have been the best choice. Uh, Whether we knew that ahead of time, I couldn't say. But what we did have access to potentially is we we, we could have, and again, this is 2020 hindsight, we could have bought existing tests from other countries. We could have, um, leaned on our, our private side, our private sector, we could have done all three of those and approached in a kind of patchwork thing, which does have its own challenges. Each test is different, has different characteristics, but it would have been more widespread. It would have given us an earlier start and potentially a better sense of where this virus was to create targeted containment so that we don't have to say, we don't know, let's just isolate everyone. Yeah. Uh, and that would have, that might've spared us a lot of heartache, but Again, that's all. That's all hindsight. Um, it was a failing. It's something we have identified now. It was probably something we could have anticipated, but it may not. The information may not have been available. Yeah. When you're in the ED during a pandemic like this, obviously the first pandemic I'm assuming that you've ever been through as an emergency medicine <laughs> physician. What I would have to agree. <laughs> what skills or traits do you think? Have have led to you. Uh, I'm assuming being a be a successful emergency medicine physician during this time. Well, I, I hope I'm a successful emergency <laughs> physician during this time. No, the uh, I think the ones the the people that are doing the, that are in order to really succeed and not collapse under the pressures that you experience there. I think the most important ones are being able to see the positive in every circumstance, being able to remove yourself so that you acknowledge that you have feelings, acknowledge that those feelings exist and give yourself some time to process them. Because if you don't choose when to process them, those feelings will come out in, in opportune moments on their own. 
Um, so being able to have have a support network, being able to acknowledge, hey, you know what? I'm overwhelmed right now. I need to take a minute. Um, leaning on your colleagues, uh, recognizing that, yes, you need to make snap decisions and being really decisive and capable of making those decisions without saying that I am better than everybody else. So I have to be open to other suggestions. I have to be open to my team members. And I have to be willing to admit that my approach may not be working and somebody else, whether that's the you know the, the tech doing EKGs or the resident that came in from the orthopedic service or a critical care doctor that comes down or my, my administration or even my other colleagues, that their suggestions, their plan of management may be better than mine. So it's sort of a, a, a setting aside of pride, a willingness to be wrong and a willingness to try stuff even though you may be wrong. Um, those are probably the most important things that I've found, uh, as as well as just acknowledging that stress is real, that your team is experiencing the same stresses as you are, and that you need to lean on each other and take care of each other. So that if you look at one person and they seem like they are totally overwhelmed, tap them out, put a hand on their back and say, hey, man, you okay? Take a minute and let them go get something to eat while we handle an extra set of load for a few minutes so that they can come back and be involved in the team again, instead of waiting for people to collapse. And you need to do that with others, you need to do that with yourself. Um, and I think those are the most important parts that I've identified so far. For a pre-med or a medical student or resident potentially listening to this, what can they do to prepare themselves for something like this in the future? Uh, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, what, can I, what can I say to do? I would say, try stuff you're not good at. Um, be willing to attempt things that you know that you're not good at and get used to the feeling of, of either, to use the term loosely, get used to the feeling of failure, get used to being able to make mistakes and to come back from them. A lot of times, I remember being a med student and being really upset whenever I would get a, you know, a few points less than somebody on a test. And it was that kind of, that kind of competitiveness, that kind of self-assessment and, and, uh, and self, uh, self-criticism can be useful as a learning tool. But in the practical operational world, it tends to just add unnecessary stress. So being willing to make mistakes, being willing to uh, identify when something isn't working and, and try something different. And the recognition that when you have space to when when there is a uh, a forgiving problem and when there isn't one so if you have a little bit of time to make a decision and you have to choose and you have to accept the outcome or when you have more time than it seems and you can try a few things and then if that's not working try something else and you get that by practicing making mistakes practicing things that you're not good at um learning from others I would actively seek out ways to interact with people that are not in the same discipline as you. So I interact every day with administrators, uh, nurses, techs, off services that aren't emergency medicine, um, and now engineers. Um, and we don't speak the same language. It sounds the same. It uses the same words, but they don't mean the same thing. So spending time where you're talking to others that are in a uh, that don't necessarily speak the same terms that you do is really helpful and being able to have that translation background now you're uh, as well as i uh were part of the um the wilderness medicine program here at the university of colorado school of medicine 
for students who may have heard me talk about it before, or maybe it's new to them, do you think, uh, specifically for the pre-meds going through a wilderness medicine program, do you think that training, wilderness medicine, I think a lot of people think of of running around the, the woods and fighting off bears, do you think that sort of experience and training would help prepare them for something like this? Oh, unequivocally. Um, yeah, it's definitely, wilderness is definitely not running around in the woods <laughs> and um, swinging from trees and shouting at people. And yeah, it's, it's a... <laughs> You can do that. That's cool. That's not wilderness medicine. Um, yeah, the kind of stu- this kind of stuff in wilderness medicine is that you're putting yourself in an environment where you don't have the resources you necessarily need to handle everything you're going to see. Yeah. So there are two skill sets. There's a preparation skill set, which says I'm going to try to anticipate everything. I'm going to build a kit, try and carry all of the equipment that I need, or what are the what's the equipment I won't need, and learning the skill sets and practicing that is exceedingly valuable and you can really turn a trip that could be a disaster into one that is absolutely uneventful and smooth and and completely completely fun Um, you can turn that you can do that by preparing appropriately but preparation doesn't get everything you can't predict you can't anticipate that you know the weather will make sudden changes or that there's a rock slide or that your uh, one of your teammates has to leave at the last minute, and now you get somebody else in that has chronic medical conditions in the field. You have unexpected things happen, and you need to be able to handle those unexpected things. The more you spend time in environments that are unpredictable or resource limited, the more comfortable you are working with limited information and improvising your treatments. So, like an example of it, uh, yesterday we used. We're working with an ER bed. We're in a very resource-rich hospital. My entire team is working as a, you know, working in a with a lot of tools and resources at our command. But uh, we still have. We're dealing with a disease that no one's ever seen before, and we're dealing with um, patients that react differently than we would expect. So one of the things that we did, I first, I, I walk into my shift, and the first thing we did is see a patient not doing so well on, on maximum settings on a ventilator. So. We are using standard ER beds. We're using standard ER ventilators. Everything is the way it looks in an emergency room. But we're thinking of what other tools do we have at our disposal? And we decided, well, what if we prone this patient? And nobody does this in an, e- in a, in a, uh, in an ER. We do this in ICUs. We do this in um, very, very carefully controlled environments. There are devices made specifically to allow you to safely move a patient over. Yeah, and just improvise. just to um, to give the student uh, some context if they don't know what you mean. So your normal patient on a vent is on their back, and you're saying prone them, put them on their belly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Normally, a patient is lying on their back in a stretcher. I, yep. Sorry to the med students. That's okay. Um, it's a <laughs> proning is a technique that helps you oxygenate more parts of your lung. It's a very new thing, so it's not surprising yeah. if you've never heard of it. Uh, it's and it's something that is now being employed, particularly in this disease. Um, it's one of those new tech, newer or not as well-known techniques that we're applying in an unusual circumstance now. Yeah. But we we met we tried to do this now in the emergency room, and all we have is a backboard and the emergency room bed. So we improvised a way to support this patient. We improvised a way of securing all of this patient's lines and uh, and tubes and all of their support systems, and we managed to flip this person in a very short amount of time. 
which actually worked for her. Uh, she, uh, that patient survived very well. Um, but it was that kind of a mindset where someone suggested, maybe we try this. The team sort of thought about this. We looked at it. We said, why not? We did it. Uh, we, we worked out a plan. We prepared for that plan. We executed it. And we, uh, we saw the outcomes from it. So we didn't know if it was going to work. We decided that we had very little else to try. And we knew that we could conceivably do this. But that sort of a mindset uh, applies just as well when you're out in the, in the wilderness and you don't have the, the, the stuff you need to handle somebody with a broken leg. But you have tape and you've got sticks. You can make an improvised splint. And then now you have that person's legs cured and now you can carry them effectively. You can even build a, a litter out of just the material that you have, like a, a, carrying, a carrying stretcher out of the materials you have available to you. So that kind of a mindset in the wilderness is the same mindset that we're applying in the emergency room now on a regular basis. So I would encourage everybody to do wilderness medicine care if you enjoy being in the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't enjoy it, there are other places that you can get that same improvised mindset. You can, you can apply it to. It's just my personal experience. The wilderness medicine programs are one of the best and easiest ways to do that. It's it's interesting with your background, having the wilderness medicine background, the aerospace medicine background, which I would say is, is wilderness medicine just up in the air or uh, down it below is, water. It um, uh, it's it's interesting just the the background that you have that's really prepared you well for everything going on now. So uh, I'm excited to to see your takeaways hopefully after this is all done and 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 have you take those and bring them back to the wilderness medicine program here and and help students uh, in the future so i'm excited for that uh as we wrap up here what kind of final words of wisdom do you have for the student going through this maybe even questioning if they want to be a doctor anymore after seeing everything going on uh with media and everything else i would say take a breath check in with yourself see you what needs care, what doesn't, uh, check in with your friends, check in with your family, check in with everybody around you. And when you identify something that needs care, care for it. I would say learn skills now that you, if you have brain space for it, learn skills now that you've always wanted to. If you have downtime, take that downtime and use it for something productive. If you're overwhelmed and you don't have brain space for it, relax. It is very useful to do self-care, to zone out and spend an entire day watching Netflix if that's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, those kinds of things really do reset you. They prepare you to be available when the need arises. And being able to recognize when you need care and when you don't, that's okay. There's, there is no shame in being stressed and anxious right now. Um, you want to make sure that while you have time to be stressed and anxious, you're stressed and anxious. So that when you don't have time for it, You've already taken that self care and you're ready, and that's the, that's what I would that's what I would advise anybody that's in a in a med school setting right now. What you can, and rest when you need to. All right, so there you have it. I hope this episode gave you a nice, hopefully encouraging, reassuring look at the inside of the pandemic from an emergency medicine physician who at this time as we're recording this is at the epicenter here in the United States in New York City. Uh, he, Dr. Levin seemed to exude calmness and confidence and I think a lot of that had to do with his preparation to get to this point. 
He's done a lot of training in his aerospace medicine uh, training, and he's done a lot of amazing things. So go check out his bio. Go uh, check out his podcast, Exploration Medicine Podcast, which you can find at explorationmedicine.com. And you can learn more about Dr. Levin, more about his preparation, his training, and his experiences there at explorationmedicine.com. I hope this was a great inside look into the pandemic. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to share it with your classmates, with your friends, with your, your classmates who you think are future emergency medicine physicians, maybe those who would be interested in the wilderness medicine program or the aerospace medicine residency or fellowship or anything else. I hope you are all safe. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.